Every day we pass by them. Some of us miss them because we're not really looking, not expecting anything out of the ordinary. And some of us have been waiting so long, praying for so long, that we've begun to lose hope. But then there are these moments when everything comes into focus, when beyond all explanation, the laws of nature and logic cease to matter because a greater power is at work. A loving God who sees us and hears us stands ready to reveal his kindness and strength through miracles. Some people say that they don't believe that miracles happen anymore. And I would passionately disagree with them. In fact, I think our entire church would disagree with them because if you've been following the series, we have been seeing story after story of miracles. Not just miracles on the other side of the world, miracles right here. Ken and Brandy Davenport, Dave and Gail Wright, Pastor Dwayne Miller, Dave and Kelly Evans, I think they would all passionately agree that God is still doing miracles today because they continue to share their miracle story with us. In fact, I wanted to give you an update. Uh, Ken and Brandy who had this miraculous intervention of God that allowed them to actually be expecting a baby. Uh, They're expecting their little one any day now. And so you can pray for the safe arrival of their miracle baby. You know, God still does miracles in the face of impossible situations. That's what we've been seeing over and over again. In 1527, Martin Luther was facing the bubonic plague in Wittenberg, Germany. That plague took countless lives. They lost count of how many people died in that pandemic. And even though people pled with Luther to leave the city where he was a pastor, he absolutely refused. He believed his calling as a minister of Jesus compelled him to stay and minister not only to his congregation, but to the sick. And in a letter that Luther wrote to his friend, explaining to him why he wouldn't leave his city, Luther wrote these words, which are so timely for us today. He said, therefore... I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. And then I shall fumigate, help purify the air. I will administer medicine and I will take it myself. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to not become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me. And I have done what what he has expected of me so that I'm not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. But if my neighbor needs me, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. You see, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and it does not tempt God. I love the balance in his simple message. I'm going to pray that God is merciful and I'm going to fumigate at the same time. I'm going to call out to Jesus and I'm going to love other people by staying at a safe distance. Just so you know, we are completely COVID compliant in this room right now. In fact, the closest person to me is about 30 plus feet away. I'm going to trust God with my future, but I'm going to purify the air at the same time. I'm going to love Jesus, but I will not turn a blind eye to my neighbor. No, I'm going to turn towards God and I'm going to turn towards my neighbor because as a follower of Jesus, that's what I'm called to do. Martin Luther was facing an impossible situation. He learned and experienced the very first principle we learned in this series, which is the first prerequisite to a miracle is an impossible situation. And this weekend, we're going to continue our miracle series by looking at the life of a biblical prophet 
who knew the extremes in his life. He knew the exhilaration of a miracle moment and he knew the desperation of an impossible situation. The book of 1 Kings contains the entire life of Elijah. And it all begins in a season of famine and drought. It's an impossible situation. 1 Kings 17 verse 1 says, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next years, except at my word. Now just like it means today, no rain means no water and no food. And that is an impossible situation if you've ever lived in a famine or a drought. But in this impossible time, God models another truth that we've been learning as we've been walking through this series. And the truth is this, the first step towards a miracle is always obedience. So God instructs Elijah to move. Elijah, you're going to have to leave your location and go somewhere else because I've got a plan. And Elijah obeys. God says this in 1 Kings 17. He says, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I've directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of Jordan, and stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the book, from the brook. That's an absolutely amazing miracle. In fact, I put it in your outline this way, that God responds with a miracle of sustenance. And let me tell you why it's a miracle. It's a miracle because ravens are scavengers. They don't share. They're scavengers. They're not Uber Eats carrier pigeons, okay? To share food as a raven goes against their natural bent, which means this is absolutely a miracle. Let me remind you of our definition again. A miracle is an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention into human affairs. At least that's according to Merriam-Webster. But we added to the definition. A miracle is a moment when heaven and earth collide. It's a moment when God touches the heart of humanity. It's like a small drop of heaven falls and lands and hits the earth. And it's unmistakable because of the divine fingerprints that accompany its supernatural power. That miracle... This miracle goes against the natural order of a raven being a scavenger and it transforms them from scavengers into providers. Right on the heels of that miracle, the journey continues. And the journey includes a moment of panic. You see the high and the low? It's a moment of panic because the brook dries up, right? That's not good when there's no water and your brook dries up. And the Bible's so nonchalant about it. First Kings 17, 7, it says, Sometime later, the brook dried up. Because there had been no rain in the land. They're right back to an impossible situation. And in the middle of the impossible situation, God has a plan. God tells Elijah to go to a specific home. Because out of his great need would come a miraculous answer. God actually introduces Elijah to a widow and her son. They're in a tough spot. And when Elijah shows up on her doorstep, he says, I I was wondering if you could share a little bit of food. Talk about another impossible situation because she doesn't have any food. In verse 12, this is her response. She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and then die. Have a nice day, right? I mean, that's a grim situation. That's absolutely impossible. But God responds. God responds with a miracle of provision. The story continues. This is what Elijah says to her. He says, don't be afraid. 
Boy, some of you need to hear that today. I would love the honor to say that to you. In the midst of all this, don't be afraid. Here's what Elijah says. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. I mean, it's another miracle. God comes through again. The flour never disappears. The oil never runs dry. They've got bread for days. You would think they would be so ecstatic. And they are because it's an absolute miracle. And then life happens again. And the story takes a heartbreaking turn because the widow's son gets sick. And suddenly they're in a moment of utter desperation because the boy is sick and then the unthinkable happens. The widow's son actually dies. And understandably so, the mom gets angry. Boy, she's angry at God and she's angry at Elijah as God's messenger. And they are right back to an impossible situation again, which I will remind you is the perfect opportunity for a miracle. The Bible says that Elijah takes the lifeless body of the boy, lays him on his bed. Well, let me actually read the biblical text so you hear it straight from the word of God. The Bible says in verse 19, Give me your son, Elijah replied. And he took him from her arms, carried him to an upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. And he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? And then he stretched himself out on the boy by three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry. And the boy's life returned to him and he lived. And Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. And he gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. And then the woman said to Elijah, now I know you are a man of God. And that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. I mean, that's an impossible situation. The little boy is dead and God responds with a miracle of resurrection. What did we learn way back in week number one of the series? We learned that God does miracles for two reasons, for his glory and for the belief of people. She believes, there is no doubt in her mind, that God is the God of the Bible and God is the God of Israel. And in that moment, God is glorified and life keeps going. If you turn the page to 1 Kings 18, it starts with these words. It says, after a long time, I think that's a good descriptor of how life feels right now. After a long time. I mean, the reality is we've only been on quote unquote, you know, lockdown for four days. I know that freaks some of you out because you're counting the days down. It seems like a long time. It's like time stands still. And that's what it feels like in our reality right now. After a long time. But we learned another principle in week number one. We learned that sometimes an instantaneous miracle that happens just like that is actually embedded in a much longer process. So it says, after a long time, Elijah ends up on the top of a mountain. I've actually had the privilege with several trips to Israel to stand on the top of that mountain, Mount Carmel. It's a famous place in the Holy Land. That's a place where Elijah went toe-to-toe -to -toe with 450 prophets of a false god by the name of Baal. It was an epic spiritual battle, and it was really based on this. It was time for Israel to decide. 
They came to a moment of decision. And Elijah called the people of God to make a decision. You're either going to follow the God of the Bible or you're going to follow a false God. Church, do we need to make the same decision today? Because the truth is, some of us have been following false gods. False gods of security, false gods of money, false gods of whatever else you want to fill in the blank with. And today may be the day when we have to make the decision. Look at Elijah laying down the gauntlet. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the people said nothing. Church, choose you this day whom you will serve. Make the decision today. And my prayer is that you will echo one of my biblical heroes in saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to a barbecue showdown. Literally. He makes two altars of wood. He puts two full bowls, like as in like cow type bowls, on the wood. And then he says, this is the deal. Prophets of Baal, you call down fire from Baal. If the fire fall, if fire shows up, Baal is God. And then I'm going to do the same. The prophets go nuts. If you read the story, it's actually pretty funny. Elijah makes fun of them because they cry out day and night. They actually cut themselves trying to get their false god to respond. And, and Elijah starts taunting them. He's like, call out louder. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's distracted. You should check it out. It's actually in your Bible. They call out day and night and nothing happens. Finally, Elijah just says, okay, now it's my turn. For added effect, Elijah soaks the altar and the bowl that's hanging there as a sacrifice, he soaks it with water. Not once, not twice, but three times for good measure. And then I'll summarize the story. Elijah prays, God answers, fire falls, torches the altar and the meat. There's actually no barbecue. And the people come running back to God because God responded in that moment. It's a miracle of victory. God is victorious and God is triumphant. And make no mistake, church, in this moment, God will be victorious and God will be triumphant. You'd think after a moment like that, that Elijah would be ecstatic and confident. But instead, in the very next chapter, we find Elijah running for his life, filled with fear and frustration. An evil queen by the name of Jezebel has it in for the prophet. And she's hunting for him. And he's on a tough road when somebody's pursuing you. But, but you would think after everything that God had done, after all of the miracles Elijah had seen, you would think Elijah would be fearless. Now, don't judge the prophet. Don't judge the prophet. Because I'm wondering how many of us, if we were honest, I mean really honest, wonder how many of us could look back over years and decades of God's faithfulness. And yet at some point in the last couple of weeks, we found ourselves asking questions like, where is God in the middle of this? God, do you really know what you're doing? How are you going to fix A, B, C, or D? I'm wondering if some of those questions have turned into discouragement and despondency. I wonder how many of us are just plain down. Before we judge the prophet, we may want to just be really honest about where we're at today. Elijah's down. You know how I know that? Because he has a moment of resignation. A moment of resignation. I want you to listen to Elijah as he speaks. 
It says he came to a broom bush. I don't even know what a broom bush is, but he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And I so love what happens next. I I mean, I just love it because God answers. He responds with what I call a miracle of simplicity. This is what God tells Elijah to do. Have a snack. Take a nap. (laughs) I love that. In fact, he doesn't tell him to do it once. He tells him to do it twice. Elijah, you need some rest. You need some food. So this week, church pastor's orders. I want you to be that biblical this week. When you are frustrated, low, and down, here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow God's example and what he said for Elijah to do. I want you to have a snack and take a nap. You might be amazed at what God does. It could change everything for you. It might even change everything for your kids. God shows up. The miracle of simplicity. And then he responds again. The miracle of visitation. I mean, God shows up in a big way. And if you want to read it for yourself, you can in 1 Kings 19. But Elijah has a face-to-back encounter with God. If you read the story, that will make sense. God shows up. I wonder how many of us just, we really need God to show up right now in our life. I can promise you, if you ask him, he will. It doesn't matter whether or not you're on the peak of the miraculous experience right now or in the lowest part of the valley. It doesn't matter whether you're on the downhill slide towards the valley or whether you're on the uphill climb back to the miraculous. Again, this one thing I know, God is there. And when you cry out to him, he reveals himself to you. When I was a senior in high school, Jesus showed up for me in a big way. Whether you believe it or not, he showed up in a 1978 Honda Civic parked right on the edge of Alderwood Boulevard. You see, God was calling me out in that moment. Uh, I went to church, (coughs) excuse me, as a Baptist kid. So we went to Sunday school in the morning, church in the morning. We came back for church in the evening too. And my normal routine was to do this. I I would jerry-rig the back door of the church So that in the evenings, when I came to church, I could drive down the back alleys and park behind the building, slip in, do church, slip back outside again. Here was the reason I was slipping in the back of the building. It's because all of my friends were in the parking lot of the 7-Eleven, which was right across the street from my church. But one night, I was late. And there wasn't enough time to navigate the back alleys. And I sat in my car, and God, in His power visited me in that car through the words of a song. It crackled across my cassette player. And I will never forget these words as long as I live. But who are we to say we really love him when all we seem to do is throw his love away? Will we cry cry when we smile before him and laugh all the hours away or cry for the friends we left behind along the way? Jesus showed up and called me out of my lukewarmness said, we're going to go another direction. He can do exactly the same for you. And I will tell you, when he does show up, the only fitting response 
is to confess your lukewarmness and your sin, to repent and go the other way, to receive the mercy and the grace of God, to be forgiven and then to actually follow Jesus with as much passion as you possibly can. That's actually the miracle of salvation. After all of this, God takes Elijah to a moment, a moment when he gives him an opportunity to pause. And we're going to do exactly the same thing this morning. In just a moment, we're going to pause. And the reason we're going to pause is because I believe this truth is important, especially when it comes to miracles. The journey forward starts with a look backwards. In 1 Kings 19, the Bible says, God tells Elijah these words, go back the way you came. Just go back the way you came. And Elijah, while you're walking around the base of Mount Carmel, you remember that God was faithful. When you walk past the widow's house, you remember that God is faithful, especially when you see her little boy playing in the front yard. And then you go back past the brook, and even though it's dry now, you remember that God has been faithful. You just take a moment and you do inventory. You think back. I want to call you to do the same thing. Take a moment and think back to the miracle or the miraculous sustenance that happened just the last time you ate. I want you to think back over the years when God came through with miraculous provision because he's never let a, a legitimate need go unmet. He may not have given you all of your wants, but he gave you all of your legitimate needs Think back to the miracle of your spiritual resurrection when God brought you back to life, when you'd been dead in your sins. Think back to that miracle of victory when Jesus defeated death in the grave for you so you could live a new life. Think back over the the miracles of simplicity that are happening right now when God slowed you down so that you would appreciate your family and your freedom just a little bit more. Let's just stop there for a moment and think about this time in history in which we're now living. A friend of Laurel's, her name's Angela, sent this to her this past week. and I was so struck by it. It was a, an Instagram post that said this. Satan said, I will cause anxiety, fear, and panic. I will shut down business, schools, places of worship, and sports events. I will cause economic turmoil. To which Jesus replied, I will bring together neighbors, restore the family unit. I will bring dinner back to the kitchen table. I will help people slow down their lives and appreciate what really matters. I will teach my children to rely on me and not the world. I will teach my children to trust me, trust me, and not their money or their material resources. That sounds like it was written last week. For the record, it was written by C.S. Lewis in 1942. Not much has changed. And apparently, even when we don't see it, he's working. And we need to come back to the basic, simple parts of life that really, truly matter. So I've got a question that some of you haven't even considered. Have any of you stopped and thanked God for this stay-at-home order? Have you thought that maybe it's a gift? 
Have you ever thought maybe it's God tapping us on the shoulder saying, I want to remind you about what's really important. Now let me make myself abundantly clear. God is not the cause of the COVID virus, but God will use the desperation from that virus to draw people back to him. And I've seen it. People are coming back to him. They're coming back to the simple things in life. He is visiting people. And I want to remind you, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will visit all of us if we're willing to open up our hearts to him. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a moment. We're going to go back the way we came. We're going to reflect on God's faithfulness. And we're going to, I just want to give you some things to think about while you're looking back. I want you to think about the moments when God lived up to his name. When he was Jehovah Rophe, the God who heals Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Jehovah Shalom, the God who is our peace. Jehovah Shammah, the God who is present. Jehovah Eslamai, the God who is our strength. Jehovah Ganan, the Lord who is our defense. And we're going to take a moment and we're just going to experience a moment with God. And during this moment, I want to challenge you to not only look back, but to be so bold as to ask God for your miracle again. Or maybe for the first time. Church, what's the miracle that you really need? What miracle do you need? Maybe you need the miracle of salvation. Today's the day. Maybe it's physical healing. Ask God to heal you or the person that you love. Is it provision right now? Ask God to provide. Is it protection or delivery from anxiety or worry right now? Ask God to be your prince of peace. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. So we're going to ask today. I'm going to pray. And then Andy's actually going to lead us into a moment of worship and declaration. And then in the middle of the song, he's going to create some space for you to cry out to God and ask him for your miracle. I want to remind you, if you're facing an impossible situation, this is the perfect time for God's miracle. So would you pray with me and then we're going to worship together. God, I'm asking right now that you would invade every living room where this is being watched. And God, I'm asking right now for the miracle of connection. God, for those who need salvation, I pray that they would open your heart to you right now. I pray that they would confess their sin and receive your forgiveness. God, I'm praying for those who are crying out for physical healing right now. And I pray that you would heal in the name of Jesus. God, I'm praying for those who need peace right now. And I pray that as you move towards them, that you would be their comfort and their calm. And that you would give them the miracle of your presence. God, I'm praying for those who are alone right now. And I pray that as you move towards them, they would sense that connection. That they would hear you whisper in their ear, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God, I'm praying for those who got laid off this past week and they're wondering, God, how are we going to pay the bills? I pray right now that Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, would move towards them and that you would whisper the words, trust me, and I pray that they would respond. God, as we pray together and make these declarations, I pray that the church of Jesus 
would rise to their feet or fall to their knees and that together we would know that you are with us and for us and that we are in this together and that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. God, come right now and hear our prayer. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.